brace yourself for a journey into the darkest corners of human nature with the Mortal Musings Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast. Join host Neil and Megan each week as they travel to the chilling world of true crime and macabre stories. From French socialites with hidden secrets to chilling tales from death row, they leave no stone unturned. They also bring you the strange and intriguing stories of oddities that will leave you questioning your very reality. Each episode of the Mortal Musings Podcast is a roller coaster ride through the bizarre and unsettling. New episodes drop every Wednesday. The Mortal Musings Podcast is on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and all podcast platforms. If you crave the dark, the mysterious, and the utterly bizarre, you'll want to add the Mortal Musings Podcast to your podcast playlist. The Mortal Musings Podcast with host Neil and Megan. We take the cases seriously, but not ourselves. Available wherever you get your podcast. everyone and welcome my name is rachel and i'm andy and we are picture the same podcast a true crime podcast aiming to put you the listener at the scene of the crime we bring you a new episode on a weekly basis with andrew mainly focusing on the lesser known crimes from the uk and ireland and me sometimes taking on some of those bigger more well-known cases from time to time as we are a true crime podcast we must warn you that listener caution is always advised If you happen to like what you hear, then please spread the word to your friends and family about us. Also, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer. And wherever you listen, if you have the capability, then why not give us a rating and review as well? These ratings mean so much to us, not only because we love hearing from our wonderful listeners, but it also encourages other people to go find us and give us a try. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And if you like us that much that you want to support us, you can now do so for less than the cost of a small Americano on Patreon. Our signups are starting as low as £1 and we release bonus content every month. And we also take recommendations from our Patreon subscribers. Your support for our little pod really does mean the world to us. So thank you to each and every one of you who continue to support us. And finally, for now, the links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes or by visiting patreon.com forward slash scenepod. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash S-C-E-N-E-P-O-D. So, Andrew, before we get into it, I'm just going to address the elephant in the room. I've definitely got a blocked nose and I'm definitely suffering with my first cold of the season. Um, So apologies in advance today because I'm bringing you the script, but we will power through. Um, and now that I've also put that out there, how have you been since we last recorded? I've been okay. I just realised, sitting here listening to you read our, our intro, how boring that must be to hear that every single week. Maybe wow. some, Maybe sometimes we'll skip it, because we just say the same things, don't we? Uh, maybe wow. sometimes we'll skip it. Uh, That's rich, but, uh, isn't it? He he says it more often than I do, and I say no. it. And he goes, well, "Oh God, I've just realised how boring it is." Well, when you say it, I mean, for me, it, me saying it as well. When you say it, you you don't really just reading it, aren't you? You don't um you don't register it. But I'm just thinking someone has to listen to it every week. Maybe we could skip it some weeks. Um, but well, do you know what? You know what? They can always use that little thirty second skip on their on their podcast platform of choice, can't they? Yes, they can. Yes, they can. Yes. Um, yeah. And, anyway, and if you're listening to us for the first time, 
you might want to know a bit more about us instead of going straight into the crime, hey? Fair enough, fair enough. Um, and one one last thing, you said you were just okay. Well, you didn't give me a chance to finish, but yeah, no, I'm good. I'm sparkling, thank you very much, Rachel. There we go, there we go. For our listeners, Rachel has spent um, yesterday bossing me about at work, so, um, so this morning, it's a bit of a respite, I guess, isn't it? Wow. I didn't realise I was bossing them about yesterday, but there we go. Not bossing, just just uh, what's the word? Managerial, natural born manager, manager, Rachel. Um, Wow. Well, I don't get to boss anyone around at home, so yes. Um, it's even more impressive because Rachel's not even my manager. So it's um. (laughs) Anyway, I'm I'm just extending this any further on, but I am sparkling, and I hope you are too. Yeah, apart from the cold and runny nose. All good. Okay. Well, all that's left for me to ask you this week is, are you ready for some true crime? And after that intro, I am, and I guess our listeners are too. (laughs) Yeah, you're more than ready, because we've bored you a little bit with the intro. Okay. Well, today we're taking you back to Monday, the 22nd of August, 2022, and to the district of Dovecot in Liverpool in the northwest of England. Despite it being smack bang in the middle of the British summer, the weather was grey and cloudy on this particular August day, with intermittent rainfall throughout the day. Temperatures reached highs of 21 degrees Celsius, approximately 70 degrees Fahrenheit, and the sun had set around 10 past 8 in the evening. While much of Merseyside were glued to their TV screens at 9.52 that evening, when the final whistle blew at Old Trafford and Liverpool fell to a disappointing defeat of 2-1 to rivals Manchester United. Just six minutes later, boo, indeed. Just six minutes later, at around 9.58pm, on King's Heath Avenue, 46-year-old Cheryl Corbell heard a disturbance outside her front door and headed down her stairs to investigate. Her three children, Ryan, Chloe and Olivia, were all awake in their rooms, given it was the summer holidays, and they had all been instructed to remain there while Cheryl went to take a look at what was going on, seemingly right outside her front door. Unbeknownst to her, her youngest daughter Olivia, though, age nine at the time, had rushed down the stairs and was right behind her mum as she opened up the front door to be confronted with a man attempting to force himself into the family home. She fought with the man, but he broke through and headed on towards the back of the house, at which point Cheryl managed to close the front door, but not fully, as the latch was left on. Not far behind him, a man Cheryl would later describe as five foot seven, slim build, and wearing a balaclava, black jacket and black gloves, calmly walked up the front path to the house. He raised his right hand, which was holding a nine millimeter caliber self-loading pistol, and proceeded to fire two separate gunshots through the front door before he made his getaway on foot through the streets and nearby neighbours' back gardens. At this point, the escapee, who had forced his way through the house, had clocked he'd been hit in the chest by one of the bullets, and so he'd whisked back through the hallway and fled out the front door into his escape vehicle, a black Audi, which sped off down the road to a nearby hospital. It had all happened so fast, and at the same time, everything was in slow motion. Cheryl looked down and saw blood everywhere and it was then she realised that one of the bullets had hit her too. It had made its way right through her wrist. At that point, she heard a voice calling, Mum, and as she turned to look behind her, she saw her nine-year-old daughter, Olivia, lying on the stairs and gasping for breath. 
Oh, that's. I was fearing you might say something like this. That's not good, is it? No, and you can kind of like when I say, when I mention that everything happened so fast, it did literally happen in a matter of like two and a half minutes. Um, but at the same time, Cheryl said everything was in slow motion. So it, it would do, like, wouldn't it? This this guy coming past her, her looking down, seeing her wrist like full of blood and then her daughter calling out for her it it was all like super slow cheryl's initial reaction was to carry her daughter up the stairs and away from the danger but this was impossible given her injuries immediately after the shooting had stopped though ryan her eldest son had emerged from his bedroom and sped downstairs to help his mum and sister when they reached the top of the stairs cheryl saw blood everywhere she had initially assured herself it was just from her wound but deep down, she knew it was not right. And as she lifted Olivia's top, she realized she'd been shot in the middle of the chest. So the bullet had actually gone right through Cheryl's wrist into her daughter. It wasn't a separate bullet. It was the same bullet. Oh, oh no. Yeah. What are the odds well, of that? Oh, I know. I know. And to be honest, like, as a mother, your instinct is to protect your children. That's absolutely what Cheryl did here. Like, she hadn't fully realised that Olivia was behind her, but she'd also, like, shielded her, um, you know, at at the point that the gun was being shot and and she'd done her job perfectly. It was just really unfortunate, the angle of which the the bullet had, had hit her. Whilst on the phone to emergency services... Cheryl initially attempted CPR on her daughter. However, the injury to her wrist was restricting her movements, and so her next-door neighbour and friend, who'd rushed to the home following the commotion, had helped step in to resuscitate Olivia whilst armed officers and emergency services were on their way to the scene. Once they arrived, Olivia was scooped up and taken immediately to Alderhey Children's Hospital with Cheryl's friend, while Cheryl was taken off to another local hospital for emergency treatment to her hand. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Because, I mean, obviously it's terrible what's happened to Olivia, but I just mean, like, she'll not be thinking about her injury. She won't care about her injury, but she'd be taken to a different hospital and all she'll want is to be with her daughter, isn't it? Absolutely. But if you think if that if that bullet's gone through a rest, there's major arteries there as well. So Oh, I know. I know that. I just mean it's just for oh, her. No, no, yeah, no. she won't care, will she? No, I completely agree with you, but both injuries would have been yeah. potentially like catastrophic for the amount of blood that lost kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. But you're absolutely right. Like your only want and need in that in those moments would be to be with your daughter, not to be, you know, being looked after yourself by the emergency services. It was at Alderhay Hospital that Olivia was pronounced dead less than an hour and a half after being shot. The following day, as news of the nine-year-old's death made its way across the country, Joanne Anderson, mayor of Liverpool at the time, pleaded for anyone with information to come forward. Nine-year-old Olivia Pratt-Corbell was shot dead in her home, the place that she should feel safest. Words cannot describe the abhorrent act of evil. Liverpool has a history of strength and solidarity. We must work together to bring those responsible for this atrocity to justice. Didn't they um didn't they link up the other gunshot wound reverse? Because didn't you say that he rushed to hospital the guy 
the guy who got shot. Yes. And um, you're absolutely right. And we will go on to talk about that. Um, but yeah, his blood was obviously in the home. And yeah. um, so you're talking about the escapee, right? The guy yes. that forced his way into the home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... I'm assuming, I mean, I've heard of Olivier's name, but I don't really know his case. But I'm assuming if they can get him, then he can tell them who was shooting at him, can't they? Well, your assumption could be correct in certain cities and and you know parts of 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 the country, but there's this mentality, um, especially in Liverpool, and I found a lot out about it whilst researching this particular case of this like grass mentality where you know even when it's been life a- life. Life on the line or not. But even when there's been a child shot and killed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and we will we will go into much further kind of like review of that. Um okay. as we back. as we progress. No, no, it's fine. You're you're only saying what you're thinking, that's fine. This was a community in conflict. On the one hand, there was absolute outrage and disgust as to what had happened to the innocent nine year old girl. However, this was balanced against loyalty and fear of being called a grass in the community should anyone come forward with the required information. But it took just under six weeks and the help of a reward of up to £200,000 to arrest and charge Thomas Cashman with with the murder of Olivia Pratt-Corbell. Whilst his name had been thrown about in the community only 48 hours after the shooting, what had actually led to his second and final arrest was the fact that he'd fled to a house nearby shortly after the shooting where he'd requested a change of clothes and had also suggested he had done in Joseph Nee. At this time, thinking the intended target had in fact died from his gunshot wound to the chest. One of the people present at the time came for so one of the people present at the time of this confession came forward with their witness statement, and Cashman was then tracked down in the city centre on the 29th of September and officially charged on the 1st of October 2022 just 40 days after the shooting. I mean, it's a shame it takes £200,000 for people to get a conscience, but at least someone came forward. Yeah, and do you know what? I think it's um, not always about the money, is it? It's it's more about, like, being, like, letting the dust settle long enough for you to... Or certainly what I got from this particular case was letting them just settle long enough not for it to be like categorically absolutely you that came forward it could have been one of many uh, people over that six week period that he's confessed it to does that make sense yeah that makes more sense my bad joseph knee who if you recall had been taken to that local hospital almost immediately after the shooting was arrested and charged the following day as he'd actually been in breach of bail conditions and following a short recovery in hospital, he was recalled back to prison to see out the rest of his 45-month sentence for burglary and dangerous driving. Despite the witness testimony and CCTV footage of Cashman on the night of the shooting, police struggled to get the evidence they felt was needed for a conviction in Olivia's murder case, as Cashman was not talking. The case just wasn't watertight, given there was no clear motive, there was no forensic evidence, and worst of all, there was no weapon. However, there was compelling circumstantial evidence which finally went to trial on the 7th of March 2023 at Manchester Crown Court 
And over the course of the next 18 days, a jury of 10 men and two women heard what happened in the hours leading up to Olivia's death, which, to help give you some context about the case, we're going to run through for you now. At 2pm on the 22nd of August 2022, Joseph Nee, the intended target of the shooting, arrived at the house of Timothy Naylor in Finch Lane, Dovecot, Liverpool, driving a Volkswagen transporter van. An hour later, Cashman left his home in Grenadier Drive in the West Derby area of Liverpool, driving a white Citroen Berlingo. His trial heard he was scoping out Nee. He drove onto Finch Lane, then took a left onto Kingsheath Avenue, where he had a clear view of Nee's van. He then drove to his sister Colleen's house in Mab Lane shortly after. Now, just going to give a pause here and explain. He's scoping out Nee's whereabouts because Nee has, in Cashman's eyes, apparently uh, done him over for a large amount of drugs. Um, And, like, you know, it, it's it's kind of this situation in Liverpool with, like, gang territory is um you know kind of encroaching on other territories selling drugs and and all of that kind of stuff so cashman was out for knee um the police believe to kill him to see him off um to make an example of him so that he wouldn't be messed with in future at 3 17 p.m cashman left his sister's house and drove past dovecot labor club where he could still see Nee's van, parked on Finch Lane. Just before 4pm, Cashman, with his hood up, arrived on foot at the corner of Berryford Road and stood looking at the direction of Naylor's house on Finch Lane before he turned around. At this point, though, Nee's van was no longer parked outside, as he'd actually left and gone to Screwfix. But the prosecution alleged that Cashman intended to shoot Nee whilst he was out on foot on Finch Lane, but was thwarted because he was no longer there. And that's like the audacity of this this gang culture. It's four o'clock in the afternoon in August. Yeah. He wants to pull out a gun and shoot somebody through their front window. Like, and these are like terraced houses. We're not we're not talking about, you know, private land, private areas, you know. And all all of this, by the way, is as I've said, captured on CCTV, ring doorbell cameras, and um you know, like dash cams. And he was willing to be like, you know, captured doing that. And four o'clock, it's when all the kids are coming home from school as well, isn't it? Oh no, you said it's well, school holidays, so it is school holidays, but yeah. no, in, in essence, they'll be out playing. Four o'clock yeah, on an August, fair enough. It's yeah. a bit um it's a bit overcast, but won't stop them being out on their bikes and, you know, mucking around in the streets while they're No, that's true. Cashman then went back to his sister's house where he stayed for four minutes before he drove away in his Citroen Berlingo to Finch Lane and then stopped at his brother Kevin Dunn's house where he could see Naylor's property once again. He spent the next three hours driving past Naylor's house over and over again before going home. Again, just to reiterate, this is all caught on CCTV and ring doorbell and dash camera footage. He never admitted to being in that car and 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 all this activity, like be, him being responsible for it, but it was all like painstakingly pieced together by the prosecution. So the premeditation was there then. Oh yeah, like yeah, absolutely. You know, he was hell bent on like taking knee out. 
Nee arrived back at Naylor's house just ahead of the match between Liverpool and Manchester United, which kicked off at 8pm that evening. Just after the game started, Cashman drove back and spotted Nee's van in Finch Lane once again. So he went to his friend's house, then back home, before heading to his sister's house in Mab Lane once more. At 9pm, he left his sister's, dressed all in black, and parked his van on Aspis Road. CCTV captured Cashman walking along Finch Lane towards King Heath Avenue, where he lay in wait for Nee, at this point armed with two weapons. At 9.52pm, the final whistle, Nee left his friend's house after the football match had finished. And at 9.59, CCTV footage shows Nee and one other person being chased up King's Heath Avenue by Cashman, who at this point fires three shots in the street. This was the commotion Cheryl Corbell had heard from upstairs in her home. Nee was actually shot in the chest during this chase, not when he was in her home, but he'd managed to scramble to his feet and still flee from Cashman. It's at this point Cheryl Corbell has come downstairs to her front door to see what the noise was, and Nee has ran towards it with Cashman in pursuit. Two more shots were fired, one which goes through the front door, going straight through Cheryl's wrist and striking Olivia in the chest. The emergency services were called immediately after this shot was heard. Just three minutes after the pursuit of Nee, at 10.02pm, Cashman was seen back in Finch Lane and running across the road to Berryford Road. It is from here he is believed to have run through gardens and flee the scene, as he's not caught captured again on CCTV. You may recall I mentioned that it was at his second arrest on the 29th of September that he was finally charged with the murder of Olivia Pratt-Corbell. But despite his poor attempts to lay low in the days and weeks following the death of Olivia, his first arrest actually came on the 4th of September at his home. However, he was released on conditional bail on the 6th, just after two days in custody, as the police did not have sufficient evidence to charge him with anything at this time. But over the course of the four weeks, with the help of witnesses and the camera footage, his movements on the 22nd of August and the behaviour following the shooting, it finally proved enough evidence for the jury, who would take just three hours to reach their verdict. On Thursday, the 30th of March, 2023, Thomas Cashman was found guilty of the murder of Olivia Pratt-Corbell, along with the wounding of Olivia's mother, Cheryl Corbell, and the attempted murder of his intended target, Joseph Nees, and two counts of possession of a firearm with intent to endanger life. On Monday, the 3rd of April, 2023, 34-year-old Thomas Cashman was sentenced to life imprisonment for Olivia's murder, as well as the attempted murder of his intended target, and he was ordered to serve a minimum of 42 years before being considered for parole. Wow, that's, that, that, that has to be one of the longest I've ever heard that hasn't been whole life. Yeah, I, I would I'd absolutely agree with you, and I think it was the fact that he had so coldly shot through that front door, knowing there were innocent people on the other side of the door. And oh. he had then, like, not... It, he hadn't even flinched. He'd just run away. He'd, like, gone into hiding. He tried to deny everything. Like, a, nine, a nine-year-old girl had died because of his actions, and he just had zero emotion about it. Do you know what I mean? Remind me how old he is. Or was that the same? Oh, that's good, Dan. He had also lauded over the streets of Liverpool with, like, I mean, he called himself, like, a 
I'm ju- I'm just a um a drug lord or something. You know, he'd called himself something ridiculous like that to the police. Like he'd confessed, like yeah, I I like you know have like a crime network of drugs and stuff, but I'd never kill anyone. And it's like, you know, he, he was just so brash about it. Well, that's how he came across to me. That's crazy. A couple of questions. Firstly, this Neil guy, is it Neil? Or Nee, sorry, this Nee guy. Did he he give any sort of testimony in court or not? No, not that I've read. Um, But he was back in prison at this point, serving out the rest of his sentence. So, again, he's probably not going to be one that's going to come and testify against Cashman. You know, he's already got um, probably a price on his head for what he's caused. I do we know why the judge just didn't give a whole life order? Because it's not far off. I'm, I'm, I mean, I can't remember one that's ever been that high and not been a whole life order. Uh, no, I, do, I, I can't answer that question either. It wasn't really referenced in, in the transcripts that I read and you know the what, articles. Do you know what, though? If it's been a starting point, there's always got to be a starting point. Yeah. And the judge added on for premeditation and then the victims and all this stuff. Then it's, it's easy. Added up. It's easy to justify. So should an appeal happen, it's less likely to be successful. But if the judge just says whole life order, then that's easier to appeal, especially when I'm not sounding harsh, but it's been one murder. I know yeah. it's a small child, but I mean, in the eyes of the law or appeal judges, that's what they'd look at. So that's probably quite clever by the judge then. Because the, the judge would have had to have a starting point and then say exactly why what the aggravating factors were, which yeah. meant was meant it's it's harder for him to appeal. So that's that's good at least. Absolutely. He was sentenced to ten years for the wounding of Olivia's mother and also received two eighteen year sentences for both counts of possession of firearms with intent to endanger life, with all his sentences to run concurrently. This does mean at the point in which he'll become eligible for parole, he'll be in his mid-70s. So he'll be truly kept off the streets of Liverpool for the majority of his life. Well, I don't see him being... He's going to be mid-76 or whatever. Like, is he going to want to come out? Probably most of his family are dead. He'll have, he might think himself as a drug lord, but he's not going to have any money left at that time, is he? Mm-hmm. I, I guess there's probably a confiscation order going against him as well. So, so it'd be easy for him just to stay in prison, wouldn't it? You'd think so at that point, if he survives that long as well. Like, I yeah, can't imagine he's going to have a particularly nice ride in prison, is he, for taking the life of a nine-year-old girl? No, that's true. And, yeah, unless they put him on the um, protected wing, but he won't want to go on there where it sounds like he's got an ego. So, yeah. Yeah. Ashman actually refused to attend court to hear his sentence after he'd put the Pratt-Corbell family through hell for 18 days. Reliving the death of their daughter, he couldn't even be bothered to stand up in front of the court to hear his verdict. And I think that just echoes, once again, uh, the audacity of this this human being. Yeah, if he had any morals, he would have admitted to it, knowing he'd probably be found guilty. So to save them the, the hassle of, and the aggra- not the aggravation, but to save them the pain of having to go through it. I agree. Chief Constable of Merseyside Police, Serena Kennedy, in an interview held after the trial, confirmed what everybody had been thinking all along. He's a coward. He is despicable. He's made a great play in the trial that he is a dad, and yet he's put Olivia's family through hell 
and through this trial. I hope he reflects every morning when he wakes up behind bars and every night when he goes to sleep about what he's put Olivia's family through. Now, if you recall a couple of episodes ago, was it uh, was it this season we did Lucy Letby or was it last season? This it was last season. season. Oh, last season, yeah. Now, if you recall last season, we covered the episode on the nurse, Lucy Letby. Now, following her conviction, she refused to return to the dock in August in 2023. And steps are now being taken to ensure that these criminals are ordered to attend their sentencing in court. Or they could otherwise face a further two years locked up for failing to appear for their final moment of justice. I don't think that Cashman will be eligible for this because it's all come about since his sentencing in 2023 but it just means that people that are like disrespectful enough not to attend court for their sentencing have that additional factor of facing a longer time behind bars in in the future i mean that's good but if you think about like lucy let me you've got a whole life didn't she and yeah. Thomas, this Thomas Cashman who got 42 years, I don't think it would have made much difference. Like, Lucy that we can't have two years on her whole life, and no. Thomas, Thomas Cashman, like, 42, 44. Like. Yeah, you'd think, though, that it wouldn't help their um, appeal cases, you know, and That's things true. like that. It's definitely not a good character testimony, is it, that you refuse to attend court? And parole as well. For, well parole and for parole, Cashman, if yeah. they're eligible, absolutely. The new power would likely apply in cases where the maximum sentence is, is life imprisonment, and it could include crimes such as murder, rape, and GBH. Until recently, there was no mention of laws to make it a legal obligation to attend court for sentencing, but the default is that the accused is expected to attend. So it it's kind of a given that you know you should attend your sentencing. You've had to attend court to hear the evidence. The families have had to attend court to give evidence and hear what's being said like we should, thing, i mean i guess what i'm trying to say is it shouldn't have to be made like a law to attend court for your sentencing it, should, that it is it shouldn't have to be but it's actually more common than people think because for the people who are in prison say on remand and they don't want to um i don't mean like your killers or stuff like that but i mean the people who are on remand and they know they're going to get a prison sentence. It might be a shortish one. Then a lot of the times these people just won't attend, and the courts are not bothered, and no one's bothered because it's it's just a formality. The sentencing. So for for many years, it's happened like quite frequently, and and no one's been bothered. So it's like I know it takes a big cases to change things, but it's. It could have been nipped in the bud a few decades ago, and then it wouldn't be an issue. Absolutely. And of course, there are always going to be good reasons for defendants not to attend court. Uh, you know, they might be sick, poorly, um, like in, in, unable to travel. Like, you know, the on a case-by-case basis, this will be reviewed. It's not going to be a blanket approach for all, like regardless of the situation you're in. But, you know, in general, it needs to be accepted that that's what has to happen yeah of course yeah thomas cashman has since appealed his conviction however has been successful on both attempts the most recent being heard at the court of appeal on the 15th of november 2023 
His request was to have his 42-year sentence cut on the basis it was too harsh, but the case was thankfully thrown out by the three appeal judges. And I know on this pod we speak about it a lot, and we don't agree with life behind bars where it unnecessary. However, as we've already kind of said, like Cashman had really lauded over Liverpool for many years, and the community were living in fear, especially in and around the areas that he operated. Given he couldn't even be bothered to turn up for a sentence in, I honestly don't believe that this man deserved to have his appeals upheld. And um, I actually read an article, although I don't haven't touched on it in the in the episode. I I read an article that said that he could cost the taxpayer up to three hundred thousand pounds in his appeal process by the time he's exhausted all avenues, which to me is just his final like fu to you know, the, the the justice system that he will just, you know, do whatever he can to spend and waste taxpayers' money trying to appeal a sentence that is not going to be successful. I get you, yeah, I get you. But So he appealed just a sentence, not the yeah. actual conviction, so he's basically admitted guilt then. Yeah, by, by proxy. Well, yeah, because if you appeal this sentence first... It'd be very difficult to appeal anything else afterwards. Yeah, you couldn't say it was an unsafe conviction. Yeah. There are rumours that he will appeal once more, but at the time of writing this episode, we don't have any further details on this. Um, So... I don't think it'll get any further, because the way the appeals work is, you don't just appeal and it goes to the appeal judges. It goes to decide if it can be appealed first, and then it goes the actual appeal. So I don't think it'd get past that first stage, because... Because he's he's got no... If he'd been turned down for the appeal of length of sentence, unless he can think of something new, he can't really appeal that again. And ergo, by default, if he didn't appeal the actual conviction, I don't see how he so can now. Because he's appealing, though, his sentence, and those three judges have all dismissed and agreed that the original sentencing was fair, can he not appeal higher to get a higher like, these, judge or, or appeal judges to review? Not just because he's, he can't just appeal by saying, I don't agree with this, I want to appeal again. There has to be something fresh, or he has to show that the appeal judges were wrong. It can't just be like, I don't agree with this. Um, okay. even Even like his first appeal would have gone to probably a single judge. Uh, I think that's how it works. And that judge would have gone, no chance, or there's a possibility. And obviously that judge would have gone, probably because of the length of the sentence, it's quite unusual, isn't it? Um, yeah. It probably would have gone, yeah, there is a possibility. And it's not gone, you can win an appeal. And that's why it went to the like the three appeal judges. And then they would yeah. have looked at it properly and gone into more detail and gone, no, that's correct. So... Unless he can prove they were wrong, because all the all the allowance for the appeal is there's a possibility, not it can be. So, so no, he, I can't see how he could appeal it again because well, the appeal you've seen the appeal notes they're, they're so detailed and yeah, they're so. I mean, I love reading them for anyone because it goes into so much detail. You learn so much, so yeah, I, I doubt it somehow. Well, he's hoping, hey. Yeah. As you can imagine, Olivia's death sent shockwaves across not only the local community, but the entire country. 
and tributes poured in in the days and weeks following her death. An especially touching tribute came in the form of a full stadium clapping during the ninth minute of the Merseyside derby on the 3rd of September 2022, when both Liverpool and Everton fans came together in memory of this beautiful little girl, tragically taken far too soon. At the time, managers of both clubs made statements to press pleading for witnesses to come forward and help locate the killer, who at the time continued to roam the streets of Merseyside. And I think that's really important. Like, Liverpool is a city of, like, heritage and passion and football is is something that brings the city together. And, you know, it's it's just another useful, like, crutch, isn't it, for... A Saturday afternoon kickoff, you know, gaining maximum numbers of of viewers, where you've got two figureheads being managers of of two prominent football clubs saying, "Stop hiding information, come forward, and you know, be honest and and let's let's get this person or people off the streets." Definitely, and um, and the simple fact that that would have generated so much media coverage as well, so it would have gone to non-football fans would have seen it as well. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of other things I felt important to note. It was exactly 15 years to the day earlier that 11-year-old Reese Jones was also shot dead only a few miles away in Croxteth in the middle of a Saturday afternoon as he made his way home from football practice. Now, have you heard of Reese Jones, Andrew? I know the name, and I know that it was a boy who got killed, but I don't know the details now. So it was about four o'clock in the four or five o'clock in the afternoon. He was crossing a pub car park, literally, on his bike on the way home, uh, from football practice, and he got caught in the crossfire of two gangs that were shooting at each other. And um, and it was a long time before anyone came forward with any information on that particular killing. And that's you know you were shocked at the height of the episode when I said. About what had happened, you were like, yeah, but nine-year-old's been killed. Why Why wouldn't you come forward? It's just, you know, this this wasn't the first kid. Fair enough, Olivia Pratt-Cobell was the youngest child to have been shot and killed in, in Liverpool, but it wasn't, she wasn't the first. So, yeah, I can't really comment on that because it's not acceptable, is it? No. And in the same week in which Olivia was shot dead, there'd actually been another two gun murders in the city. So first killing a 22-year-old Sam Rimmer and the next killing 28-year-old Ashley Dale. Now, none of these deaths are thought to be linked. Um, But, yeah, in that week, there were three uh, fatal incidents relating relating to guns in, in the city. But despite these crimes, interestingly, Liverpool's gun crime rate is steadily reducing year on year. So over the last five years, um, it is it has steadily dropped. And statistics in 2022 showed a total of 241 incidents versus a total of 283 in 21, which was a drop of approximately 15%. I guess that's the argument. I know it's a big argument here. I guess that's the argument about gun control, isn't it? Like, yeah. It's not gun getting rid of guns doesn't remove gun violence, but it reduces it and it makes it a much lower number. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a it's a very complicated argument, which I don't think we should get into right now. No, Olivia's mom actually came out and said, like, if you want to fight, if you, if you think you're hard, you know, hard enough to, like, cause pain, inflict pain on another human being, use your fists. 
Yeah, exactly. It's like it's it's um a poor man's way out to raise a gun and you know take a shot. And uh, it was really like you know that those kind of words quite scathing towards the Thomas Cashman and and others who've like you know yeah caused caused these um awful awful crimes to happen. But today I'd like to end our episode in the right way with an excerpt of Cheryl Corbell's victim impact statement, which I feel really brings home the true tragedy of this case. My nine-year-old Liv was the light of our lives. Our beautiful, sassy, chatty girl who never ran out of energy. She was a character. She was my baby. She had amazing qualities and knew what she wanted in life. She will never get to make her Holy Communion. She will never wear that prom dress or have a sweet 16th birthday or walk down the aisle with the man of her dreams or become a mother of her own children. All that promise for her future so cruelly taken away. Now I have to drive to the cemetery to be close to my baby daughter. I sit with her and talk to her, telling her I miss her smile, her kisses, her cuddles, her voice. I tell her she will live on in my heart. She will always be with us. My little shadow. Sorry. <laughs> Seconds. I'll I'll reread that. I don't want to cry. No, no, don't reread that. That's 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 fine. It's it's okay to have some emotion. Oh God, it's just so sad. I it's actually not, didn't stop crying right in this episode. <laughs> it's natural to have. It just shows you're human. Don't worry, Rachel. Carry on. We love you endless amounts, Liv. So this has been season four, episode nine, titled My Little Love, My Little Shadow. So, Andrew, what did you think of the case? Yeah, it's a, it's a reason I try to avoid cases like this. Um, I mean, just to read as general and watch as I intake news because it's just so sad. The emotions you've just felt. Yeah, you 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 feel them yourself, don't you? So it's it's sad and it's tragic that like all you can hope for is that the people involved in these sort of crimes sees the impacts it has on families, and they you're not going to get stop people committing crime and committing violence against each other, but these people can have a thought and try and minimize it against impacting innocent people and innocent lives. I know, and uh, yeah. I, I mean, I've tried to keep the episode today because I got quite upset writing it. I've, I've tried to keep it quite factual and, uh, like, to the point because we are a true crime podcast and we are here to bring people, like, you know, a case that's talking about, you know, a crime that's happened and um and all of that, all of the, all of the, speculation and the you know all of the kind of evidence gathering that comes with it and but this particular case like I've covered some awful and really upsetting cases as of you but this one just hits differently um yeah definitely so for one last time if it's safe for you to do so I'd like you to relax to close your eyes and picture the scene it is often said in the case of tragedies like this one that the innocent victim was very much in the wrong place at the wrong time. But this gorgeous, vibrant and energetic nine-year-old was very much in the right place, right beside her mum in their beautiful home, 
thanks all and until next week goodbye thank you all Thank you.